The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. Welcome into episode 11 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson. I'm coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I sit down with the great Matt Chamberlain, my personal favorite drummer uh, on earth, and I know a lot of um, a lot of my friends and peers' favorite drummer as well, and he's apparently the favorite drummer for a lot of bands and artists out there. His track record is pretty ridiculous. It would take me all day to list it off, but if you just go back to the beginning, the first record that I remember is Ghost of a Dog with Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Then you've got Wallflowers and Fiona Apple, and tons of stuff with Tori Amos, and then on and on to most recently, he's on Bob Dylan's latest record. I mean, it's it's an insane, prolific career. Uh, at the same time, he has his own projects. So check out his solo records under his own name. Also go back and check out his, his old band Critters Buggin', which I believe is one of the first kind of hybrid electronica, jazz, funk fusion groups. It's really, really cool stuff. Um, and he just most recently put out a record in collaboration with Stone Gossard of Pearl Jam that's called Painted Shield. He's got a new EP out under his own name. It's a, you know, an experiment with, with modular synths and acoustic drums. That's called The Foundry. The dude is constantly putting out great stuff. So let's just get to it. Here's Matt Chamberlain. All right, well, let's dive in, man. So I've got 20 questions here. I don't think we're going to get to all of them, but we'll kind of see what happens. Okay. Um, this is a podcast all about gear, so we're going to get there eventually. Um, but I always open the episode with asking, how have you been spending the past year to m- remain creative? And then I looked at all music and realized, well, you've made as many records in the past year as you have in previous years. So I imagine not a whole lot has changed for you. Is it pretty much the same? It's been miraculous having my studio. Yeah. It's saved me i mean I, I i was joking around with some friends uh when the pandemic started i was like you know i've been practicing for the pandemic for years i've been preparing for this moment of being in <laughs> my studio by myself <laughs> so um yeah i you know luckily i have my space that i've been working out of and yeah you know when the pandemic hit obviously a lot of people couldn't tour so they were just making records so yeah a lot of times it would just be people sending me uh tracks you know like pro tool sessions and i would just whip it up sometimes we do it like this like with zoom mm-hmm. where i have like the this my my ipad in front of my drum kit and we do the uh there's that plug-in called audio move movers you know that one i do so it would be like a real-time like a real-time session and actually it felt like a real session because most of the time as a drummer you're put in a room away from everybody with, you know, like you're talking on the talk back and you're like, where are you people? Can you hear me? <laughs> you know? So it's like exactly the same. I was joking around about that. <laughs> yeah, so true. Not, yeah. not a lot has changed and things have continued to be the same. I mean, things are opening up and I've yeah. had people over here now, you know, friends that are vaccinated and um, we've been working, uh, but yeah, it's, I think a lot of people have realized they can work differently now. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, what happens now if you get offered a tour? Are you going to take it, or is it changing your perspective on what you want to do? Uh, yeah, I like touring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it has to be. It ha for me, for you know, everybody has their requirements for going on tour. Um, I I just got to feel like I'm playing some music. You know, mm -hmm. I couldn't. I don't think it would be really hard for me to do a tour, but where the music was, it was like a show where you did the same thing every night. And that would be really challenging. I mean, just, I, I can't play the same thing every night. Even mm -hmm. if I tried, <laughs> I have drummer amnesia. I can't remember like, what was that bill going into that section? Oh, so it, it wouldn't yeah, work. I think I'd get fired anyways. So, but it, it has to be the kind of thing where it was musical and with people I liked and, um, you know, it just have to make sense. But it is nice to have the option to just record or tour instead yeah. of just having to tour all the time. Was I mean, it kind of got, unfortunately, the pandemic kind of put the Bob Dylan situation. On the, like, we kind of forgot about it for a second. But you toured with him for a bit, right? A month or so? Uh, yeah, at the end of 2019, we did like three months. Three Almost months? three months, yeah. Was that a different set every night? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't too drastically different okay there were um some things we change out and then just some things that he would just change on the gig while we were playing it <laughs> <laughs> so um <clears throat> yeah that was that was kind of interesting that was more of a uh um uh just you know i mean he's bob dylan so it's like i was just curious like how he operates and and his way of doing music is so, it makes sense to me now. Cause if you think about how he grew up and, you know, his era, you know, it was storytelling, folk music and jazz, like beatniks and improvisation. So he loves it when you react in the moment, he doesn't want you to play the same thing every night. Cause he doesn't, he's like, when he, when he plays piano, it's like Sun Ra or Cecil Taylor or something. <laughs> it's like some nights you're just going, whoa, what's going on over there? <laughs> Damn, he's taking it out. <laughs> so Was the making of the record the same way? Like just go for different options and one of them will make the record? Yeah. Literally making up the songs right before you record them. And then listen, you know, like we'd listen back to it and he'd go, I don't know. Let's try a different way of doing this. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Why don't you try a different beat? Like, you know, let's do a different chord progression. Let's change this. Oh, let's, you know, it was just so, uh, yeah, it's like a different way of doing music than most people do it nowadays. Yeah. You know, it's just very uh, in the moment. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously if you listen to, you know, if you're a, a, a Bob Dylan person and, have listened to all the recordings he's put out throughout his life. There's like so many different versions of mm -hmm. every classic song, you know? So depending on when you record the song, it could be a shuffle or it could be a halftime groove, or it could be this legato, no drum thing. Uh, yeah. He's it's all for, you know, obviously for him, he's more of a poet than he is like a, a an accomplished musician. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, He's not like a shredding guitar player or anything like that. He's more of like a storyteller. So I think the music for him is just a backdrop to tell a story. So it could be anything really. 
it's like it's like a, it's like a, it's like a soundtrack to this, mm-hmm. you know. So when you go when you do a session like that versus a session where the song is written and you're putting the final drums on it, what's the difference for you approach wise? Or you, you approach them all the same way? Oh no, like um, like there's certain people like for instance, um, Tori Amos, who I've worked with since like '97, mm-hmm. you know, she'll send me music. We did this Christmas record and. You know, she's all working on stuff. And so with her, she'll just tell me the story of the song. She'll send me like a piano and vocal to a click track and just say, go for it. You know, just Whoa. do what you're feeling. So, you know, it could be layered percussion with electronic drums or a simple drum kit groove. It could be, you know, I can get as creative as I want with her. Because she loves that, it, and it worked for her music. But for Dylan, he is um, performance oriented, so he wants to get performances with people, everybody mm-hmm. together. I could never do that with him. You know, he would be like, "What the hell? <laughs> what are you overdoing? What? What?" <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's a whole different mindset. And like, for instance, on the last Dylan record. He wanted it to be us setting or set up around each other in a circle with no headphones on mm-hmm. and put his vocal mic right in front of my drum kit. And so as a drummer, you can't, I mean, you have to realize that your drums are going to be in the vocal mic. Like the vocal mic is going to be the drum mic basically. Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, I had to adjust what instruments I was playing. Everything had to be very muted and soft and, you know, couldn't really dig in too hard because I would destroy his vocal sound. <laughs> and it was a, it was an education in how the fuck did people make records back in the day? Because, like, you listen to like Sun Records recordings where it's like, you know, if, I don't know if you ever seen the Sun Records studio, but it's like a small little room. And yeah. you know, you've seen the videos of Elvis and all these people recording in there, and it's like he's standing in front of the drummer with a mic and the drummer's behind him. There's an upright bass player and he's just wailing back there, but the vocals sound beautiful and like present and there's no drums bleeding in. I mean, it's just like, how did, how did they do that? I mean, I would think you you throw a blanket over the drums. That's about the only way I can think. No, but it was all live. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of records from those eras where you just wonder how did they accomplish that? Like, you know, the Rudy Van Gelder, Mm-hmm. recordings or another thing like how i mean i'm sure you've been in situations where you've been in a studio playing acoustic jazz or something like that with that instrumentation and you have an acoustic piano upright bass everybody's playing acoustically and you're playing drums and you're like shit i can't hear you guys because i'm playing my instrument it's you know it's just a loud instrument so i'm just i was just thinking like elvin jones like just going off and like he didn't have headphones on how did yeah. he hear like what was going on? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and then or, to be able to record, <laughs> yeah, and then to be able to record it and like not have the drums destroy the piano mic sound, you know, it's in the sax. And I mean, yeah, all the, all those kind of recordings are a mystery to me, but uh, back to your question. Yeah. Dylan is different, totally different. Most people are, um, most people in, you know, of, of my age or, younger that want to do records or into 
production and sounds and you know, mm-hmm. sounds are important and your parts and being almost like a sound designer in a way with your so did you hear the playback and realize you were playing too loud or you just knew right away i've got to use smaller sticks or drier cymbals i mean dylan yeah with dylan was it right away uh, like this isn't going to work i've got to do oh something yeah immediately i was just like well hmm, okay <laughs> um I, I i just had like a crash symbol that i used as my ride and my crash symbol okay and some broken ass hi-hats that were really dark and then some uh have you seen you know how people get those uh goat heads with the hair on them still yeah yeah so i like those were my drums because they're really soft sounding and you can dig into them and they don't get too loud mm. so that that was the kick and floor tom and then the rack tom was sometimes a another snare drum or i just wouldn't have a rack tom it was you know a lot of his songs just didn't require a lot of drum stuff you know, it was like just keep a kick snare hat thing going or hit a crash cymbal or not hit a crash cymbal. I mean, hitting a crash cymbal is a big event when you have a vocal mic right there. So I was, I, I kind of defaulted to super minimalist. I, I just didn't want to fuck up his vocals, you know? Mm-hmm. It'd be horrible to be like, you know, oh yeah, the record was all right, except the drummer fucked up Dylan's vocals. Out, yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. I'd rather just be like, just mute me or something. Like, just take me out. He's fine by himself. He doesn't need me back there. <laughs> so, on the flip side, with with Tori Amos, I almost find that even more overwhelming because you could literally do anything. Like, do yeah. you f- get an immediate inspiration and chase it, or I mean, what is? How do you go from her click track vocal piano to what you give back the next day or whatever? It's a uh, a lot of times I'll come up with two totally different versions of the song. Mm-hmm. Like there's the one, you know, I'll do the version that, you know, I'll just chart out the song. You know, I'll, as I'm listening to the song, I'll think, okay, this would be cool if I had, you know, with her, I've worked, I, like, God, I've done like 10 records with her. So I've mm-hmm. done the full gamut of trying like, okay, uh, here's an acoustic piano. Most of the time you think you got to play a, a drum kit that's very, of that world like you know a, almost like a little bebop kit or something or you know something mm-hmm. very nice sounding like that's that's very acoustic and contained and but with her i've gone as far as just using like john bonham drum sounds against her piano uh or just using things that you wouldn't think could work with an acoustic piano and you know in a lot of the way she writes she does a lot of arpeggiated patterns that really don't have like a defined rhythmic groove so you could do anything you want you know like her style is like that Mm -hmm. it gets into these like rolling arpeggios and you're like well my rhythmic uh thing will will be the vocals to latch on to for a lot of that stuff Mm -hmm. and you know and sometimes i'll think well uh maybe i won't react to anything maybe i'll just play beat like make it more beat oriented or maybe i'll change it up and have two different drum kits or maybe i'll have two drum kits at the same time or maybe it'll just be all percussion with electronic drums being the backbeat in the chorus or maybe it'll be you know i'll just try all these different combinations of things and she'll react to them 
one way or another, you know, she, she usually goes for like the performance oriented, my, my first uh, impression. Mm. Cause I'll get, I'll get into like a science project kind of mindset after I do that. I'll be like, well, I can have a right. contact <laughs> mics on my snare drum and run through this amp and then have the delay. And then, you know, like, you know, just to, cause it, you can with her music. She's just so, it's so it's like experimental pop music. So it can, it can uh, take it and, and the way she's open to that, it, it can really push in whatever direction she wants. So I don't have a set way of working with her, but it's definitely op more open-ended and it lets me just sit here and think like, well, I don't really have to play a drum kit per se. I mean, I can have like my native American drum is my kick drum and run my snare drum through my echoplex and have that be like the eighth note pulse instead of playing hi-hat or you know, like use that kind of stuff that, you know, that, that kind of mindset. Is More, it quick? Uh, Do you go, is it a quick process for you, for you to get to an idea or is this like an all day adventure? Um, it's like, you know, within like three or four hours kind of thing. Mm. I mean, after that, I just, I, you know, I can't concentrate. Right. That intensely. <laughs> Especially if I'm doing everything like now, I'm, you know, I'm engineering everything. And like, if I want to go run out to my room and like do a concert bass drum overdub, I got to get my iPad with avid control, controlling the pro tool session and, hit the mm. drum and check the levels and run back in here. And, you know, it's like a whole thing. So it's not like going boom and having an engineer get the sound. And so after a while, I mean, it keeps you in shape running back and forth. He's <laughs> <laughs> an assistant in there. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, w I wish I, I'm my own assistant. I talk to myself a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're ready for the pandemic. <laughs> I do so, love it. I love I love engineering. I, I've always had a studio since I mean since I was you know, like twenty two years old. I've always had something to record on, so I've always been a fan of engineering. So I, I just loved it. I I could easily just engineer shit mm -hmm. if I played drums on. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so requirement. I have to play drums. <laughs> Let's talk about your solo stuff because you snuck a solo record out or an EP out this year, Foundry, which I just realized it came out. Um, at least that's what iTunes says in May. Um, and I'm kind of in that world myself trying to write my own stuff. So I'm asking as many people as I can, how, how do you get to there? How do you get to the end of a track? You know, like the first one, what's it called? Um, Pan, sorry, I don't know the title. What's the well, first Pan track? Scan? Yeah. Like, where did that start? What was the inspiration for that? Was well, it a drum um, groove? Was it a keyboard part? What, what, how did it begin? Well, that, well, that whole EP was um, uh, me trying... I mean, I've always been interested in synths and modular synthesizers. Mm -hmm. And over the past God, like 15 years, I've just slowly collected modular synth modules. Like, there's a format called Eurorack. Mm. Um, and so modular sensor, I don't know if you know any much about not modular. much. I've seen them. I, mean, I don't know how they work. It's basically just the elements of a, of a keyboard. Like, I don't know if you can see this move back here, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's like the elements, like, you know, you get your oscillators, your filters, um, your envelope and they're, but they're all separate modules. And so in order to 
go from one, you know, if you take an oscillator, which is a sound, you patch it into the filter and then you can filter it. And then you patch it into your envelope to create mm. the attacker decay and all that. But the thing with modulars is that every single knob on there is controlled by control voltage, which means you can have a signal from like, there's certain modules that just modulate that send control voltage waveforms. And these waveforms can control the knobs so the, the waveform itself is actually turning the knob mm. and just like create these crazy, like, um, soundscapes or bass lines. Like I, I got a, a little sequencer for my rig and just started recording improvs on it and then chopping them up into forms and then putting drums on. And that's okay. how I made those things. So like the, um, idea, my, my initial idea was I want to do modular synthesizers, like analog modular synths and acoustic drums mm-hmm. like that, that 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 was the only requirement i had and then once i had a form i put drums on it and then i would go well maybe i need a little bit of well, you know i'd play a little guitar and like other keyboards so i just would add little overdubs and um just try to see if i could do it all myself and then just mix it myself and then you just upload it to uh, <laughs> uh, our, uh band camp <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty simple nowadays. I mean, How I know, you know when a track is done, though. That's where I'm at. Like, I feel like I don't know when it's done. Uh, you just, I don't know. You just feel like it's done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Listen to it and you go, I like that. Like, you don't hear anything else. Like, you you listen to it and you're like, well, this section sounds good. This section sounds good. Great, it's done. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to it and you're going, well, I think I need like something in here, and then you try to come up with something. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, I like your trick of, uh, like at the end of a four, eight bar phrase, you might just do one bar of some other thing that comes in. That's like a cool little trick. I've noticed you do that, that I would never think of like some, like a tabla thing will come in and then it goes away. Oh, it's like, like, cool. yeah, it's like the, like your, the fill quote unquote is like another thing, another sound that kind of pokes in, which I think is really cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to do it. And just trying to think like a, a, a muse, uh, no, <laughs> well, drummers are musicians, but trying to think of, <laughs> think of your music as you're the composer and the arranger and drums are just one part of it. You know, you're arranging this piece of music, you know, unless of course it's like drum solo music, but, um, you know, be, be ruthless, mm. you know, don't, don't love your drums more than you love music. <laughs> that's what right. i think <laughs> you know if the drums are getting in the way if you feel like it's just like all right uh maybe i should tell that drummer to chill out you know, like like treat treat your drums like it's some dude in the room and you're like come on man like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> man so what what are you listening to on to and from the studio these days i know you're a, a pretty rabid consumer of interesting and unusual I love, music I, I love music I'm a big fan of music. <laughs> I keep li- I keep changing it up every day. Like, what did I listen to this morning? Um, I'll just make playlists in Spotify. Um, actually, I just learned about uh, this record. I'm always looking for as many Tony Williams recordings as mm. I can. And I, I love his 80s era because it's just so bizarre. He's like playing these gigantic drums and he's like, it's so like the bizarre. rock, this rock attitude, but he's like 
but all these jazz guys are hiring him to play on it. And he's just like, yeah. burr, burr, just like it's so incredible. Um, I wish more people would do that. But there, there's a Don Pullen record. You know Don Pullen, the the keyboardist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with Gary Peacock and Tony Williams, and it's wacko. Wow. It's great. Check that one out. What's Dave Elitch record. Do you know? Uh, New Beginnings. This is it right here. See? Oh <laughs> yeah, man, that is eighties. Holy smokes! Yeah. I've found like a Cedar Walton, Ron Carter, Tony Williams trio record that is just so bad. I mean, so bad. Not good. Oh. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> well, you know, those guys don't have to prove anything. I know. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I love about it. Like they yeah. put it out. Like this record is terrible, and they put it out. <laughs> yeah. Um. There's. I don't know. But I. You know. I'm. Every day I listen, I try to like, you know, I'll either remember something that I used to listen to a lot and listen to it. Like the other day, I just, I was like, you know, I used to listen to Zappa all the time. Like when I was in high school, I loved Zappa. I love Chad Wackerman era Zappa. I just mm -hmm. love like Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch, that era. Um, I just love it. I love Chad Wackerman during that, like, because that, that was when I was like 14, 15 years old and just discovering other music besides what was on the radio you know i had mm -hmm. friends that were like hey check out this alan holsworth record i was like what that's crazy <laughs> what is going on <laughs> and so I, I like to revisit stuff that like inspired me when i first started that made me want to like get deep into practicing mm -hmm. a lot of times i haven't listened to that shit in like you know 15 20 years like all the early King Crimson, or I mean, not the early, but like the '80s King Crimson. Mm -hmm. um, love that. I love. I mean, lately I've been. What else have I been listening to? Like, uh, I I love Tool. I love Danny Carey. I just mm -hmm. I think he's just so. The the main thing about that band is I don't understand how that singer creates his vocal shit around that stuff. Just blows yeah. my mind that he can yeah, sing it's like riffs, but he writes beautiful melodies over yeah. top of it and i just love sounds too like i just love the fact that it's so Dan danny's sound is so uh it's like this clean everything's very clean you know like the symbols mm -hmm. are very glassy and everything it's just so extreme and you know i never do that myself but i always try to think of like how can i how can i incorporate some of that you know to like a <laughs> like like a tori amos record or something you know who knows like just you know just yesterday i was like um, thinking, oh, there was this band called Animals as Leaders that um, a friend of mine was telling me about. And, and I was like, well, I'm going to listen to some of that. And that shit is crazy. <laughs> hey. it's, it is insane. I don't even understand. Like that kind of music, I'll listen to it and just go, what's the entry point of getting into that? Because it's insane. I mean, like you, you would have to like, first of all, you have to, I mean, as the drummer, what's his name, Matt? Matt Gartska, yeah. He, he's incredible. So, like, what... I, I would just love to talk to him and, like, go, well, how, how did you... Like, where, what's what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what? You know, I'm like Mr. Like, like, grooving around. He's like... <laughs> it's fucking incredible. It's like... I, I had that experience, like, about seven or eight years ago when I was out... Filming in for Soundgarden, we played some of these heavy metal festivals in Europe. 
Oh, wow. You know, like Hellfest in Switzerland or wherever that's at. And every band was like that with those kind of drummers where it's like, I'm just on the side of the stage just going, this is insane. Like, it has nothing to do with the kind of drumming that I grew up learning, but Mm -hmm. it's incredible. And it has its own beautiful, weird groove and like vocabulary. And like some of the guys have two ride cymbals and like, it's in a lot of kick drum shit. And like, but I was like, man, it's like a foreign language. (laughs) You know, dudes dressed up like orcs, you know, with like, (laughs) so it's just incredible. I love that stuff. So I'm, I like to listen to metal stuff like, you know, like there's uh, High on Fire, you know that band, that metal mm. band. Love that shit. I mean, that's kind of like Motorhead with a little more riffs involved. You know, mm. a few but I love everything. I love ambient electronic music. There's this artist um, named Hiro Kone. Okay. H i r o k o n e. She has a record called A Fossil begins to bray mm-hmm. and um it's all modular synth based music it's all just electronic music and but it's not like you know it's like really yeah. creative just i don't even know what you call it it's just it's nice to listen to yeah you know music that's the other thing is listening to music that doesn't have drums in it is always kind of refreshing mm-hmm. you know like a big drummer just kind of like get some different ideas because a lot of people that do their own music have really unique ways of of uh, creating rhythm in their music that you would never think of as a drummer because mm. you know drummers are so 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 drummy. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, beats and fills, right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, speaking of drums, what snare drum is on your kit right now? Oh, an uh, Oriolo. Oh, is that one of those seamless? It's a, um, it's like a recreation of a bell brass. Mm. It's just like Why a three. that up? It's a three millimeter. Uh, you know, it's like a bell brass shell with the diecast hoops. Oh, it's a monster. Uh, um, uh, it, it was up because it sounds really good. I was doing <laughs> the track for this artist. Actually, I got to do one more track today for him, and um, it's kind of, it's kind of rocking. There's some guitars going down and those drums like you know the bell brass really you can dig into them and they just sound great Mm -hmm. they don't kind of they they don't choke you can muffle them down they sound good you can open them up and i think those those shells that guy's making are pretty close to the old Tama ones, mm-hmm. although you know the old Tama ones have this like mystique. Some they're they're just bizarre. It's like this bizarre energy around them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Every every time I talk to um, John over at Angel City, he'll he'll always school me on the differences of the of the uh, bell brasses because he has like the you know some of the '80s ones, and then he has like I think he has a '90s one, and then he has like a Duluth foundry you know that no it's the you know like the um it's the foundry that made the shell for the Dave Elitch model dw mm. one okay yeah and so this, this foundry makes um i guess it's called bronze technically mm. and they sand cast it that's the way they did it originally and they'll, they'll do whatever thickness you want but 
you know, the magic one is the three millimeter thick. Can you hear a difference between the different types? Nope. Yeah. Not really. I mean, <laughs> it's very, it's very subtle and it's not enough of a difference to even make a difference. I don't think, mm -hmm. especially when you're recording, it's like, there's so many other variables that would make a difference. Like, you know, your room, your mic, uh, how the engineers EQing it, mm -hmm. you know, the instrumentation around the drums. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I mean, an example is like, you know, I've heard Dave Grohl play on a bunch of different snares and they all sound like Dave Grohl to me. And they're all, <laughs> you know, they're all different snare drums and they all sound like Dave Grohl. So, yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's the same for you, obviously. I mean, your, your snare sound is everyone talks about it. And I'm like, I don't think Matt's used the same snare twice. Like, how would you know what drum he's using? If, you know, like, it's just your sound. Now, that is so, that coming from, I've thought about this a bunch for myself. Like, do you have a sound in your head that you kind of get the drum to do? Or do you let the drum do what it's going to do? Like, how do you approach playing a snare drum? Do you have a sound that you like, that's, I'm going to make my hands produce this sound on this drum or... Is it more the instrument tells you what it wants? Well, it there there's a bunch of uh, variables. Like, are you speaking of like a live gig, a recording session? Because live mm. is like a whole different set of parameters. Like, you can do whatever the hell you want live. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can play on anything live. I mean, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking studio for sure. I mean, like in the studio. Okay, so there's. Like, what kind of music are we talking about? There's that classic sound that everybody goes for now, which is basically the yacht rock kind of drum sound, you know, mm -hmm. which is 70s dead thwack. Yep. And that could be any, I mean, that could really be any snare drum. I mean, I can mm -hmm. get any of my snare drums to do that. Yep. You just got to tape the fuck out of them and detune them. Mm -hmm. And then the only difference would be is the amount of, uh, like, the snare wires. Like, if there's, like, some some snare wires are have more high end, some are darker. So you know you get that thing. Um, so if you're doing that kind of music where you need like that classic, just fat '70s thing, um, there's that. But then there's stuff where you just want the snare to be open and just gnarly sounding, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, but you know, a lot of times it depends on. Well, actually, all the time, it depends on the music and it depends on the room that you're in, how it sounds in the room, the, uh, how the engineer's liking it. Like, if you come back and you listen, like, you know, if you decide to put up, like, a Keplinger snare that's wide open, you come back and you listen to the track, and you're like, oh, man, I, I guess you're, like, cranking the close mics because it's the whole time it's just going, <laughs> you know, but if, you know, the guy has, like, more of a roomy thing than the the note goes away it just kind of becomes part of the mush so it depends on what kind of miking you're doing i mean right now and actually for like the past 15 years it seems like this real compressed dead drum thing is kind of the way that most people do recordings mm -hmm. so um you know there's that um thing to consider because and the thing like recently when i'm out here recording by myself I, i've been messing around with having four toms and so you know i'm hitting the snare and i'm like oh where's this 
palm vibrating. I got to like check the bottom head. And because like that's always the problem with that kind of recording is the drums are so compressed that any tom that is making an overtone is going to be part of your snare sound. Like if you're just playing the groove and your toms are going while you're playing the groove, that's going to fuck up that dead 70s thing. So it's like you got to go around and make sure all your toms are not. Then you got to start tuning the snare up or down to see if you can get out of the frequency range of, and then tuning the toms up and down and putting tape on them. And like, just, you know, it's like a whole thing. Cause you, you know, it's like everything's vibrating against each other. Um, sometimes you got to get creative with muffling and stick shit on the bottom head of the floor tom. That's always like the culprit, the bottom floor tom head. Mm. A lot of times. Um, so if you're doing that kind of recording, the snare drum sound, for me is usually not a lot of ring, but a nice crack with some snare in there, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's my default. And the snare I usually go for about 99% of the time is my, uh, Craviato diamond, the Chrome over brass, mm. you know, the very first snare he ever made with AK. Yep. Like a, it's basically like a Chrome over brass twenties, Ludwig snare drum, mm-hmm. six and a half by 14. And, um, that drum, I love, it's just, there's, I don't know if I'm sure you have certain snares where you, they just do this thing. You don't even know what's going on. Like, you know, even if I change the head, I crank it, get it back to that zone. And it's like, Oh, thank you. You're, mm-hmm. you do that. And that's what you do. And I like you, and I'm going to use you a lot because <laughs> work. <laughs> Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. And then, you know, and then I have character snares. I call them character snares because they're just so weird. They're just like, I have this one snare that's like from the early 1900s that has the little uh, tightener things around, you know, those kind of snares. Um, no. You know, like you've seen them before. They're like really old from the early 1900s where you have like the, instead of lugs, you have these little. Oh, thing. yeah, yeah. Single you know? tension thing. Yeah. And that drum, you hit it and it sounds like a sample. Mm-hmm. You know, it has no high end. No, it's just like this weird mid range. And you put a mic on it and it's like, ah, it's, it sounds like a sample. Like if you want to do like a 60s breakbeat thing with it. You could use that. Um, I couldn't get my Craviato to do that. Mm. Full, it's, it's full frequency. So a lot of snares have <clears throat> certain uh, characteristics built into them that you can use for certain types of, obviously for certain types of music or whatever effect you're going for. But I'm, I'm not a big fan of just having a bunch of like really nice snare drums around that all sound the same because they all mm-hmm. eventually start sounding the same because you have like a preference. Like everybody has a preference. Like, now I was noticing I tuned my snares all kind of the same. And I was like, 
this kind of sounds like this snare and this, you know, like the bell brass kind of sounds like the Craviato. And that sounds like the, I just, I just bought one of these sugar uh, drums and I, man, that sounds like the Craviato. I mean, I mean, as far as the tuning goes, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the characteristic is obviously different. But, and the sugar ones smell really good when you play them. They have like this <laughs> aromatic. Is that the uh, <laughs> cedar? Is that the cedar? Yeah, yeah it's like, it's like uh, aromatherapy. Like you're hitting backbeats and you're like, Mm. <laughs> can kill some moths with this shit <laughs> so what would be the cue for you to put the the craviato away and grab something different if you could literally make the craviato be your only drum like what would be the cue to like let me put that bad boy away and get something else um well you know if you're trying to do something you know a lot of people love now right now it seems like people really love snares that are super low and dead like mm. I have like this fifties uh, WFL fifteen diameter by six and a half inch. Mm-hmm. That thing you can just detune it, tape it up, and it's like <laughs> you know, it's just like it's like a kick drum with snare wires on it or something. <laughs> and you can't do that with the Craviato. I mean, you you can get it pretty low, but you can't do like that. Um, it's almost like the uh, you know that Peter Gabriel song Intruder. Mm. You know, Oh yeah, like what that, is that kind sound? of sound. Where it's like <laughs> the snare almost takes up like an uh, like two quarter notes or something. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know a lot of that sound is coming from electronic music. So it's like you're basically just trying to co- copy like the sound of like a nine oh nine snare drum, right? With, with the noise with like more decay on it because you're competing with that element in a lot of pop music at least. So. At least, I, at least that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's. I would say I wouldn't use the Craviato for that. Or, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I, I like to put up. I still got my old uh, Noble and Cooley Piccolo snare, and that thing just does that thing. You know, is that the one headlight drum? I got a, a listener question. Wanted to know. What no, that dr- that drum I unfortunately sold. I got rid of it. Okay. Don is it Bennett. the same same drum though? Same. The, no, same no. The one model. I have is the one I have is a little deeper. the The one I had on one headlight was the three point seven five deep. Okay. I have like a five deep now. Okay. Um, but it's a maple. The one I have now is a maple, and I, I just love that sound. It's just. You know, it, and that affects the groove too. So you know, there's a lot of things where I'll, I'll 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 think it needs to be super dead, but it could be it can make the groove a little, you know, sloppy sounding. Mm-hmm. It takes up too much space, you know. So I'll, I'll go for like the higher pitch uh, snare that that's still kind of muffled down for most stuff I'm doing. Because you know I, I'm doing stuff for songwriters most of the time. You know I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know if, if I was doing stuff in a band, I would do whatever the hell I want. But a lot of times songwriters just want a drum sound. That's not too insane unless they specifically ask for it. You know, <laughs> I just, I, I, I try to add some character as I'm recording, but um, I just want it to feel good and, and fit in with the music and the other instruments. So, you know, I, I have like maybe like three or four snares I would, I would go to on a session just to have the options. Mm. You know, I'm like, the producer or you know whatever we I mean, so, you know like i'm sure you've been in some rooms where uh 
like, you know, your favorite snare drum sounds like shit. And you're mm-hmm. just like, what's going on? So, I mean, I need a backup. I need something else to try or you know, something that has more of something else in it that would cover you in those situations. What was your first snare drum? The, that Tama six and a half uh, Rosewood Superstar. Red? The red finish? Yeah, I have one of those. That's <laughs> so cool. So that was the same drum that Glenn Kochi said was his first drum, but his was an 8x14. So oh, wow. I only assume um, Neil Peart was the inspiration for you to get that drum, right? Yeah, or not. but we didn't know, or I didn't know at the time that he played the Slingerman artist model. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, he didn't play the, the Tama snare drum. I just thought it was cool looking. I thought it was a cool looking drum sounded really good yeah i got I, one of I those wish, 40th anniversary reissues it's a it's a cool drum yeah i, I wish i had one i uh, i don't though so was that your first drum as a, as a kid or the first drum you bought like specifically for a snare drum sound first drum yeah nice so what was your first purchase when you were like i need to get a another snare well let's see i i uh Pretty much just had that drum until I was with until I joined Eduard Raquel and the New Bohemians. Okay, and I started to make enough money where you know I could pay my rent and eat and buy drumsticks, and then I could buy another snare drum. And so I bought a Noble and Cooley. Mm. That was my second snare drum, and I had that. It was that Piccolo. Was that one? Cause I use that, I use that piccolo snare on that Edie Brickell record, that Pearl Jam live video. Was mm-hmm. that no bully snare? One headlight. I use, I just use that snare. I only had that snare. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, I, I always think back on that, like, man, it was so simple. You know, I just had yeah, like yeah. a snare drum and I just made it work. I just like tuned it down and it was like a little piccolo. I was like able to like, play like grunge rock with it and like somehow play with it's it's just crazy how you can and and so a lot of times i will try to do that to myself i'll try to take out my snare drums out of my space and just leave like three or four and just go okay these are the three you're gonna make them work Mm -hmm. and it usually works and you know a lot of times i'll go to studios that producers have and they just have like one or two snare drums there and those work too you just you know, most, most drums, you can make them sound pretty good and make them work for most music. Um, mm-hmm. Unless they're just really shitty snare drums. But even then, there's like a, a beauty to a shitty snare drum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rapid fire through a few listener questions that I'd, I've gathered up. Um, some of these you've already answered, but what is your most this, used snare drum? That Craviato one? That's the, the six and a half by fourteen chrome over brass. The um, that one, and then uh, shit. I need to go look at my snares. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I should no. Yeah, it keeps changing. I mean that that would be the one I can think of for sure. I mean, for a while it was like the classic Ludwig stuff. Like a couple mm-hmm. years ago, I was using my Superphonic, and I just bought two Superphonics. I had like the the six and a half. And the was it five? Five mm-hmm. and a half. Five. I had those two, and I, was, and, and I got them to work for a bunch of records. And 
those always do the job mm-hmm. for just about anything. I was surprised. Um, wood snares. I'm, I just realized I don't have many, so I'm trying to mm. dive into that. That's why I got that sugar profession snare. I was like, well, you know, I used to like having, I used to have a Brady snare that I love that of course I still as well. Mm. <laughs> and, but you can't buy them anymore because there's no, we can't. freaking expensive. Now. Yep. Man, I want to, I love that sound, that stage snare sound. But, uh, so got a sugar percussion one. I love the solid shell wood snares. I mean, any of those Craviato snares are incredible. Like mm. those are my favorite pieces of all his drums that he made were all his snare drums. They're just so versatile, you know, and beautiful sounding. Like the cherry, cherry wood one, the six and a half by 14. I love that one. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. It's too many snare drums out there. I know. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure my <laughs> wife could agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of snares. Uh, a secondary <laughs> part of that question, what are your most used hi-hat symbols? That changes all the time. Okay. I mean, I, I have, I have like the, you know, I'm with Peisty now. So I have like, I love the masters, um, dark hats. I have like 14s and 15s, mm-hmm. but I also love like the 602s for more articulate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some, I have a bunch of old, like vintage, um, new beats and like old Istanbul K's fifties mm-hmm. and sixties. Um, I just picked up a set of hats from revival drum shop. You know, those, uh, revival symbols they make. Oh yeah. Is that the Holy grail ride symbol? Oh. They make that. Yeah. They have like a symbol and gong is the company, but they make these really cool they just made these new line of uh, rides and crashes. And I asked them to do the hi-hats like that with that weird hammering. And those are real dark and weird. And I just have like a whole bag of these weird symbols that mm. depending on the song, I mean, those, those Stuart Copeland hi-hats are really great. Those Peisty, they're like those little welding things. Yeah. Yeah. Those are amazing. <laughs> they're so cool. Like the, it's like you play them in a track and you're like, Oh, that's, I mean, it's just like they're so the, the frequencies are so high up there, they almost sound electronic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I love that, and it and it can sit in a track in a cool way. Um, but it all depends. I mean, you know, it's like as a session musician, I get presented with different types of music. So depending mm-hmm. on what they're going for, um, I got to be prepared. Yep. <laughs> professional musician. <laughs> <laughs> so here's another question from the um, your discography. Do you remember the snare drum on Fiona Apple's Fast As You Can? And did you use splash cymbals for hi-hats on that track? Remember the snare drum on that one? Yeah, and the hi-hats. Yeah, that was... Those were John Bryan's drums, the producer. Uh, they were... The, hi, the snare drum was... Like a, um, you know, Slingerland Radio Kings, like they made those little 10 inch snares. You ever seen those? No. 10 inches? Yeah, they made like, I don't know if they were like part of like the cocktail kit that they made. Uh, but John has like all these old, like crazy weird drums that mm. he'll just sessions. But it was one of those snares. It was like a 10 inch, maybe even a 12 inch, but it was a little snare drum. And the hi hats were, 
um boy they i think they were like uh I'm trying to think because that kit or that that song has two drum kits on it or actually three drum kits so um really three different setups yeah like on that record we were into doing that thing of like we had all these drum kits set up in the room and it was when fiona she just gave us the songs and we would just do like we did drums for like two weeks mm. on her tracks and it was just drums so we were like okay we're gonna have like the ludwig kit that's gonna be like the main kit and then we had that weird kit with little 10 inch snare and it was like a single-headed old slinger one with a cap head and like these weird little hi-hats they might have been splash cymbals and then we had a kit set up in the control room <laughs> that was like right <laughs> behind the console and then we had had like my taos drums there and a bunch of percussion but we'd use the kits for different parts of the song so you could have like the one kit for the verse and then another kit for the chorus mm -hmm. and then you would have another kit maybe for the, uh, the bridge um it was kind of a big experiment was that the first time you did that? Was this pre Toriemos? No, this was like, this was 99. So this was like around the time. Okay. And Tori, Tori was like 97. That's so kind of already in this, this mindset of just trying a bunch of hybrid stuff. Yeah. Like hybrid. Just, I mean, that was kind of what was going on in music too. I mean, you had hip hop. And back then, hip hop involved a lot of breakbeats and sampling of actual drums off of records, you know, mm. called the, or, or like the Beastie Boy stuff where they actually played, but they jacked the sound up so much that they're like, what is that? You know, they ran the drum kit through a ARP 2600 synthesizer or something, you know, or, um, <clears throat> or you were trying to emulate like Portis Head, which is still like a, a mystery to me how they got those amazing drum sounds. But so you're trying to emulate program i mean all that stuff was going on so you're trying to like emulate programming but you're also informed by hip-hop and um but you want to perform at the same time like that was the thing with fiona's records was we tried to get those sounds like they were loops or samples but we would just play i would play mm -hmm. the instead of looping the drums so it was a performance that went through except for the you know punching in the different kits but um, you know, I would play through the whole sections with these particular sounds, whether they be from the actual acoustic drums themselves or by the way they mic'd them and processed them. So it was like, um, I mean, I, I remember the one thing John said on that one on the, on the record with Fast As You Can, he said, the whole idea is to play shitty drums mic'd with like super expensive mic. <laughs> like we had, like we we tried to see if we could get like a hundred thousand dollars worth of mics on, like the shitty, super shitty, like I don't know, like '60s Japanese drum kit with like the original heads on it, and, like all fitted. <laughs> you know, he had like those two fifty one mics on every tom, oh, which I think yeah. those two fifty ones cost like twenty grand each. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, we're in a recording studio. It's like most people come to recording studios and use like 57s on the snare drum. It's like, that's the shit you use in rock clubs. You use like the fucking U47. That's a good, <laughs> good, valid point. <laughs> you hear, use so, it. So yeah, I think that fast as you can was that tiny weird snare, single-headed bass drum, and the hi-hats were definitely 
like these weird, yeah, they, they were probably splash symbols or, or just weird hi-hats. You know, like there's all those hi-hats floating around from the sixties that were with those Japanese drum kits. Mm-hmm. You ever see those symbols? Like they, if you look at the underside of the bell, it has like a stamp that says Japan on them. I have one that says super. Is that, is that, is that similar? I think they're nickel silver. Yeah. They're just like, I mean, all these symbols that we found look like they were dug up from somebody's backyard or something. Yeah. Like, they're just like, but they sound really cool in the context of a drum kit. Yeah. So, so let's talk about transferring all this experiment. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we're getting to the end of the hour, but transferring all these experiments to the live presentation. Like how do you create a kit? How do you build a Tori Amos kit? When I saw you with her, I don't know when that was 12 years ago, you had like bongos below your ride symbol. I'm like, that was a cool choice, but how the hell did you get there? Like to put bongos underneath your ride symbol or something. It was something. Oh, I had that little, yeah, it was like, a, it was like a, um, it's like, it was just like a little eight inch, uh, what do you call this? Like single headed toms. Like, I mean, the, the idea was like, you know, the concept of like when Bill Bruford rides on an octobomb, Mm, okay. To have that be like a, a source of groove, like you know, you could use that. Um, but I got, I was using that with my, I had my band Critters bugging at the time, and I and my drum kit setup in that band was was electronics and the weird bongo, and I had like a little side kick drum and uh, <laughs> just all this percussion and contact mics and all this shit. And so I just applied it to when I worked with Tori. Okay. And and used it with her. And she she was into it, so that's cool. <laughs> Most people would be like, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> what is that tree thing that's like it's like a, a oh, the Brazilian drum? Yeah, what is that thing? <laughs> Just a tamborum machine. It's like it's uh Is that real or it made? No, uh Contemporanea, you know the Brazilian percussion company? They make they it. make it. I guess they, I mean, I don't, I guess it's made for samba bands that don't have enough tamborum players. Maybe. Okay. Because <laughs> they make that one that has three on each side, and then they make one that has like five on each side. And um, I just saw, what's his, uh, uh, what's the percussionist name? I saw him playing one. Uh, what's his name? He Arnie plays. You're the, talking about. I saw him with Adams for Peace. With, uh, no, it's not Morrow. No, not Maru. It was the guy he plays a lot with um Modesky Martin and Wood and oh, he had uh, a band Ciro? called you know Ciro, yeah, but Ciro Batista. Yes. Batista. He had that and I was like, what is that thing? And then I saw that I saw one at Pro Drum. And I, and I was like, well, I need I need this thing in my life. <laughs> it's a it's like I, I just use it as like a clap sound, like uh, instead okay. of being like a clap sample. You just stick that in a room and just go, <laughs> or just for like overdubs. And I had Chris Hewer at um, uh, Angel City over there. He rigged up a, a DW uh, cable hat to it so I could play it with my foot. Mm. And I used that on a Tory tour. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, Did you see yeah, yeah. I saw that tour. I was like, yeah. what the hell is that thing up there? It was like, it was like a Dr. Seuss instrument on stage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's so ridiculous. And the, and the cable is so long that I could stick it on like the other side of the stage and have it like, <laughs> other people. 
I think on that tour, I got into like taking pictures of people's faces and then going into the office and like uh, printing out a big thing of their head, you know, and like taping it on the the little tambora machine so it looked like little arms were. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what happened. Oh that's, man, but that that thing's useful. I I still use it all the time. I have it over here. It's been. It, it broke a few times. It's made out of aluminum and I've had it welded back together. And, mm. um, it's cool. It's a cool sound. Acoustic weirdness. Well, to wrap it up with one final question for anyone who's interested in maybe getting a studio rolling or getting into, you know, making their first investment, what would be a the core kit that you would say someone should get? Sizes and, and like the do-all kit. Not brands or whatever, but you had to pick one setup, what would it be? Um, just like a 22, 13, 16. Yeah. And a snare drum. That, that covers about anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, a 20 could cover just about anything, but I think a 22, you could probably venture into punchier kick tones, mm -hmm. depending on what brand. I mean, some I've heard some 20s that uh, sound like 22s. So, I mean, like Rogers. Like those old Rogers 20 inch kick drums are massive sound. Mm. Um, but I, I'd say like a 22, 13, 16 with a snare of some sort. It could be a five or a six and a half. Probably six and a half would be the most versatile. Mm. Brass, aluminum. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you can't go wrong with any of the Ludwig stuff. Yeah. I think Ludwig snare drums are kind of like, you just get a Ludwig snare drum and it sounds like a snare drum. You don't have to do much to it. I mean, even the new ones sound like any of the metal ones, like the um, Superphonics or the, the Black Beauties. Those are all great. And they're all like five, 600 bucks, right? They're not mm -hmm. too crazy. Yep. Um, even those Acrolytes, man, those new ones they make, those uh, the six and a half by 14s, those are great. Yeah. Yeah, and they're making them in... I think in brass now as well. Wow. Yeah. They, yeah. Those, those are like good workhorse snare drums. I mean, obviously all the boutique, there's a, there's a million great boutique snares too. I mean, mm. Depends on how much money you got. Right. Yeah. Some of that shit's ridiculous. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a snare drum. I mean, it's a snare drum, but I mean, it's not just a snare drum, but it's like, come on. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, but then you go into just the like, acoustic I mean, guitar world, and you're like, oh, you can spend a whole lot of money here. Yeah, I shouldn't complain. We don't play like, you know, a cello or something. Yeah, or, right. Upright bass. <laughs> you have to take a second mortgage out on your house to like, you know, get your instrument. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got it easy. Drummers have very easy as far as financial commitments. Although it, it does add up when you start getting all the different elements, right? I mean... Well, yeah, for me, moving, I had to get my own moving truck to get my drums from one house to the other. I'm like, why did I, why did I just sell all this crap? Like, <laughs> What's wrong with you? What is wrong with me? <laughs> you don't need another snare drum. They all sound like snare drums. <laughs> As I order another <laughs> snare drum. Yep. That's the way it is. <laughs> I just tell my wife that it's like, well, I mean, she doesn't care anyways. She's like, you know, obviously it's what you do, but it's like having like producers that have like a hard drive full of like drum samples for doing records. 
that's my excuse is like i have samples they're like real life drum samples. <laughs> they just take up space i can't put them on, if, I put, if i could put them on a hard drive i would but they're <laughs> physical objects that need drum heads to be changed you know it's like it's like having pets as well because you gotta yeah, take care it of them. yeah <laughs> you know, it's like oh this guy is, needs a new drum head maybe i'll try some different wires on this guy yeah snares are fun i like snare drums and then the weird snares there's like a lot of fun like a and f made me those little bongo snares and the 20 I have like a 22 inch snare yeah, drum that's surreal yeah i i like those for like adding i mean because a lot of them sound like white noise like like they're almost electronic you know mm-hmm. you, hit them, you can almost use them as like a crash symbol like the 22 if you have the the wires really loose you just kind of hit it and it goes boom. and you can just hit it with your hand almost and it's just like this weird noise um love that but it does create a lot of snare buzz. So if you're playing the groove and you have a 22-inch snare over here, it's like <laughs> <laughs> you gotta like turn it off and like turn it on when you need it if you can without making noise. <laughs> Man, so does the gear really matter, or is it just to keep you inspired at this point? Oh yeah, it's a. Uh, there's certain tools that are very important you gotta have. I think it just makes recording easy. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's sitting there going, God, I wish I had this. I mean, especially if you know what they do. Like, there's certain drums that I always default to because I know they're going to do that thing I need. Mm-hmm. And they have certain frequencies in them, or they or they don't have certain frequencies in them. And I can I can think, okay, this is going to work in this track. And thank God I have these particular sounds because it's going to make the track do that thing that I wanted to do. I mean, I can get it to do it with other drums, but certain drums just give you that full on, like, yeah, this is really doing that thing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whether it's like, I have some Caskin kits that have all Caskin drum heads. And there's a thing those things do that you can't get with, you know, plastic heads. Mm-hmm. And, and you can do things to those drums. Like as you record them, you can, uh, with compression and the, the way they react to limiting and all that, it's just a whole different thing. It's just really unique sounding to me. It's like, it's like using gut strings on a guitar instead of steel strings. You know, it's like that kind of difference. Mm-hmm. It's a whole, like those kind of things are important to me. Um, <clears throat> I, I like having them around. They're they're good tools. But then I love modern stuff. Like like, like Yamaha just sent me this uh, PHX kit. You know the Phoenix kit. That's modern. Yeah, it's about um, as long as it gets. <laughs> and I this kit is freaking me out. It's so great. And I just left the heads on it that it came with. Mm-hmm. You know, I never use clear heads on my toms, but I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to leave them on there. Just tune them up. Make it work the way they envision the kit to sound and it's so much fun to play i've been that, that's what i've been using all week on this record i'm doing i've been i've been using those uh uh what's that company uh roots eq you know those mm-hmm. little i've been using those on the toms to get rid of some of like the ringing overtones but um the kit sounds so good plus i'm just a fan of uh like those do you remember those uh sonar s- signature drums Oh yeah. yeah they're like, yeah. They're like the, the shells are like, you know, 
12 plies and <laughs> Ronald Shannon Jackson used to play them and right. love that shit. And so I was like, ah, yes, I'm going to have some crazy ass shell drums to like mess with. And, and, but they're, they're really versatile. They're very warm. They, they actually have more body and low end than the uh, maple kit that I have. Cause they sent me the hybrid maple, which is also mm. great for like rock. I think those are really great rock drums, but the, um, Phoenix drums are great for everything. They're just, they, they kind of sound like a more punchy version of my Camcos. Mm. I have like these 60s Camcos and these are like a more realized, like more Technicolor version of them, you know. Do you play differently because of that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> play, <right? laughs> I, I play differently on modern drum kits because they're set up so that you can like, play but like you know vintage drum kits are like oh shit the thing's falling over and the (laughs) bomb is like it makes you play a certain way but when you have like a a modern drum kit set up you feel like i feel like an olympic athlete or something you know with like good gear like and i got things on i can run really fast and jump really high but with like you know the vintage that stuff it's like i don't want this tom and like you gotta you know how it is you gotta set things up in weird ways and you can't hit things too hard, uh, like on casking drums. You, you, there's a certain. It's like you, you have different techniques for different mm. situations. Um, but I love those Phoenix drums. I'm digging them. I keep trying to just use new shit. That's my goal. I'm trying as much as I can. <laughs> I don't want to be one of these guys. that's like, oh, you know, you got to have a Ludwig kit or an old Gretsch three ply. Otherwise, you're just not recording. It's just not a good recording. <laughs> Although they do have a sound, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, fuck, man. Yeah. That's why drummers are crazy. I know. Because you have so many options. There's a lot of options out there for, um, but they all sound really good to me. I mean, they're all just different flavors. So whatever you're into, you know, yeah. obviously, I think there's a difference between being in a band and being a session musician. So if you're in a band, you're going to play whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. And hopefully your band members will deal with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, but if you're, if you're a session musician, you're, you're obviously being prepared for just about any thing that could come your way. So you, it's a whole different thing. If I was in a band, I'd probably have like just two snare drums, two or three mm-hmm. snare drums and, yeah, like Couple back in the day, you had a Noble and Cooley and a Tama for how many years? Yeah, yeah look at Stuart Copeland. He just has this Tama kit, and he has yeah. that one snare drum. <laughs> yeah. like, he sounds fucking awesome. He doesn't need a wall of snare drums. He doesn't need like a vintage Ludwig kit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for spending the time. Um, I could sit all day and, and talk shop with you, but I, I'll let you get to work since you actually have work to do. Uh, but so anyone listening, definitely check out. You're going to be putting out more solo music because this is an EP. Is there any more coming? It's called Foundry or The Foundry. That's Foundry. The, Foundry, the latest well, EP. But what's next? Well, you know, there's a, a band. I forgot to tell you. There's a band that I've been doing. A, pande- a pandemic band with uh, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam. Right. Painted Shield. Painted Shield. And we, you know, I'll send them modular synth drum things and the singer is this guy mason jennings who's fantastic he's also like a solo artist mm-hmm. in his own right but so he'll just i'll send him these things and he'll send them back to me with like vocals 
and then we'll send him to stone and he'll try to put a guitar on it. And so we have one record out already. Mm-hmm. And then the next one's being mixed right now. We have, oh, great. Um, that, that one's really fun because a lot of it I got to write and it all came from these weird little experiments I've been doing here where I'll just lay down the modular synth thing and then go bonkers on the drum kit and then send it to Mason and thinking there's no way he's going to come up with, you know, like, how is he going to sing over this? I could sing. That's what's going on. You know, and then he sent it back to me and I'm like, wow, he sang over it. Wow. <laughs> so there's that. And then, um, there's something else I'm doing. It's, there's a lot of things going on. I can't remember. <laughs> um, a lot of, a lot of things moving right now. I mean, there's, there's some stuff I can't talk about because I would get in trouble. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I I've think everyone should check out the, the I was listening to the painted field record. I kept thinking it was painted windows. I was like, that would mm-hmm. be what I would make a painted windows record. <laughs> painted Power, <shield>. windows. Power <laughs> windows. <laughs> painted shield. And then check out all of Matt's solo stuff. I go back to it all the time. I didn't tell you this the other day when you called to confirm. I was literally listening to your record when you called. <laughs> You I don't want to be though. weird. Yeah, I don't want to be weird. Like, whoa, dude. But I was literally checking out your new record when my phone rang. Cool. It's Thanks. Pretty, pretty odd. But it's beautiful, beautiful <laughs> stuff. I always go back to all your stuff. It's so inspiring. Even back to your your self-titled first record, it's still, I think, leaps and bounds above what most drummers or anyone is making these days. So I love it. Um, thank you so much for sitting down. And hopefully uh, we can check back in maybe next season. For now, hopefully, hopefully I'll see you out on the road next year. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. There's talk. There's, talk. I, there's the new variant coming out, and people are starting to cancel gigs. So I'm yeah. keeping my fingers crossed that it, it gets kicked to the curb soon. I mean, we'll see. I mean, maybe maybe uh, this, if this virus doesn't go away, everybody will have to have their own little personal Brampton, Missouri setup, where you just set up in like right. a room. Just, just like you know, string your gigs to people or something. I don't know. <laughs> the weirdest two years I've ever been through in my life. That I think anybody's ever been through. I don't think anybody's ever been through a pandemic that I know. So. No one's alive, right? Hundred years ago. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy times. Real, but but the upside is that after the last pandemic, there was the uh, Roaring Twenties. So um, once this shit gets sorted out. People be like, yeah, party on. Yeah. Like, they're not going to care what snare drum you're playing as long as you're rocking. <laughs> be like, recording? No way. I want to get out and play in front of people. <laughs> Nobody's going to want to sit around inside their studio by themselves anymore, are they? After, this, after the pandemic it's dealt with? It'll be the crash of the home studio market, is what it'll be. No yeah, one's making records alive. anymore. People just be playing live. It's like, oh, you made a record? And I want to go see your gig. You can't play live, can you? Right, right. <laughs> Get back to that. That'd be great. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to play live in front of people. I miss that. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Matt. That's it for this week. So what we're going to do to end this show is I have the track pan scan off of his latest EP called Foundry. We're going to drop in an excerpt of that. So you can kind of hear the uh, experiments he was talking about with mixing modular synths with acoustic drums and then overdubbing. It's a great record. Go check it out. Check out his entire discography. 
Um, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Please like and share and subscribe and send us a review or drop a review on iTunes. All that helps. Uh, the show keeps on growing and let's just let's keep it going. Thank you so, so much. See you next week.